Hi, this is Michael Tipper and welcome to today's episode of the Profit Productivity Podcast. Now, yesterday I did a cause and effect analysis using a current reality tree and I identified that my two biggest constraints were, first of all, I have a fixed mindset and secondly, that I don't have clarity on my goals. Now, I'm going to park the mindset issue because that's something that's going to take a long time for me to get to or much longer to get to the bottom of and work on. But I can do something about setting my goals straight away. So this episode is looking at a goal setting approach which I have found, looked into and believe is the right one for me. If you do a search on Amazon for goal setting, uh, you'll come up with 10,000 books that are about or reference goal setting. If you do a Google search for goal setting in inverted commas, so it's looking for the specific term, not just the two words on the page, the specific term, there are 18,700,000 pages about goal setting. So there's a lot of information out there. Now, I've chosen to go to a book called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. It's a book by John Asaraf, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a second. And it's a book I discovered recently. So the reason why I'm choosing it is because it's a recent book. It is, was published towards the end of 2018. And the thing I like about it is that it is backed by neuroscience. So it draws upon extensive research in neuroscience to justify how you can control your brain and how you can use it more effectively. Now, John Asaraf is a two times New York Times bestselling author, has been in a number of films, including The Secret. He's appeared on Larry King. Um, he's done work with Richard Branson. So this guy is a serial entrepreneur who has made significant differences in the business community and now helps people understand their brains more effectively. So I've seen him a number of times in The Secret, although that's 12 or so years ago now, but the interviews more recently are credible, they're practical and they're research-based. He has an organisation called NeuroGym and they do a regular free brainathon where they bring on all sorts of neuroscientists and doctors and PhDs and researchers to talk about the science behind the techniques that he uses. So the main reason for choosing this book is because it's about setting goals that leverage the power of your brain. So that's why I've chosen this and I've read it a few times recently and I like what's in there. So this is the approach I'm going to take. Now, he talks about the human brain being a goal-seeking mechanism. From a survival perspective, the reason why we survived is because our goal was to get food. So we are naturally hardwired for goals, although primarily they're about food. Now, as we have evolved as human beings, we are now able to imagine future goals. We can imagine goals beyond just getting the next drink of water or just finding the next meal. We can think of all sorts of lofty ideas. And the world around us is a reflection of people who've had that ability to be able to imagine and then make those goals happen. So he identifies that there are four steps to good, effective goal setting. The first step is that it starts with an idea. Now, this comes from your prefrontal cortex, which is your executive function. It's the most evolved part of our brain when you compare it to certainly primates. So it's the 
the reasoning side of our brain. Now, the other thing that needs to happen, apart from just having an idea of what you want to do, you need to get a clear mental image because our brains are heavily dependent on visual information. And so the clearer that mental image, the more likely it is we are going to uh, achieve it as a goal. So you've got to have an idea, you've got to have a clear mental image. So you create a specific goal. Now, having done that, one of the things that happens in the in the body, certainly when we're looking for something as simple as reaching for a glass of water or going to find our next meal, is that the motor cortex is activated for us to take action. But our blood pressure also rises in order for us to fuel the, uh, the physical requirements of getting up and taking those actions. So the third step is around our identity. So one of the key things this approach talks about is that once you've got the idea and a clear mental image, the, the clarity of that mental image is really quite important. Um, it, and I'll come on to that in a second. But once you've got that clear mental image and you start to imagine yourself being there, what happens is you trick a part of the brain called the parietal lobe. Now, this is the part of the brain associated with self-image and with identity. And it's the part of the brain that can't tell the difference between a real and a vividly imagined event. If I started describing to you in absolute vivid detail now how in my hand I've got a, a lemon and it's cool, it's just come out of the um, fridge and I can smell the the zing, the zing of that lemony smell. And I'm going to take a knife and if I put the lemon down, I start to cut into the knife. It's cut into the lemon. And as I cut into the lemon, it opens apart and I can see the, the flesh of the lemon. If I pick it up and I can smell the citrus nature of it, if I squeeze the juice and maybe put a little bit of the juice on my tongue, I'm describing that now. As I'm describing that, my mouth started watering. There's no lemon. If you fully vividly imagine that, then that is the part of the brain we're talking about here, the parietal lobe. Another way of doing this is that um, people can become sexually aroused merely by thinking about things. Okay, now that's another example of this part of the brain working. So when you vividly imagine the goal happening, you convince part of yourself that it already has happened and therefore its existence is already part of your being, which helps in creating the motivation to actually um, uh, move forward. And then the fourth step is all about the reward mechanism, is that when you set a goal that has the potential for bringing you pleasure in whatever form you define pleasure, that could be achievement, that could be sex, that could be money, that could be status, it doesn't matter what it is, the mere anticipation of that goal releases dopamine and dopamine is the fuel that gets you motivated and takes you into action. So those are the, the, the four steps and it really is quite simple. I mean, the, um, it's sort of obvious when, when you look at it, having looked at it, but there are some pitfalls. The first pitfall is um, not having enough clarity or precision or vividness in the description of your goal. It's the difference between saying, okay, uh, I want to go traveling versus I want to go traveling to Italy versus I want to go traveling to Rome versus I want to go traveling to 
visit the Vatican versus I want to go travel and visit the Vatican and go to the place where the Pope does his, uh, has his audiences. And the clearer you are about where you want to go, the more likely you are to get there. So precision, vividness and clarity. And the vividness is all about making sure the parietal lobe believes it's already happened. The clarity is getting clear in, in what you want. The precision, obviously, is, is fine-tuning that even more. The second thing that is often a pitfall is that goals are not written down. There's been research that's shown that if you write the goal down, you're 50% more likely to achieve it if you do that. And then the third pitfall is that sometimes the goals don't lack uh, or lack emotional value. And I'll read a quote from the book. It says, in the case of a new goal, it becomes critical to ensure that your goal is inspiring enough to win the release of dopamine to fuel constructive action. You do that by ensuring that your goal, uh, you, you tie your goal to a meaningful purpose. Okay, so the combination of a mental image and powerful emotion that will fuel the goal okay so coming on to the next pitfall is this is about having the wrong size of goal now coming back into the neuroscience bit as well we have something called the hypothalamus i hope i've said that right and it's responsible for all sorts of things one of which is homeostasis which is keeping the body uh, stable uh, it's the regulatory uh, function within the brain. So, for example, our internal body temperature is 98.6 degrees centigrade, regardless of what the temperature is outside, because the body, uh, this part of the brain, keeps it at that, uh, uh, at that level. Now, when we set uh, a goal, that, coming back to hypothalamus, so it's a regulation device like a thermostat, which means making big changes in our body, big changes in our thinking, is difficult because it wants to regulate back to the status quo. So if you have too big a goal, then what happens is you you get stressed by it. The amygdala, the amygdala kicks in. Um, the fight or flight mechanism is kicked in because there is there's a stressor. If there's too small a goal, there's a yeah, no motivation. So the key thing is to find the sweet spot between too big a goal and too small a goal. And sometimes experimentation might be needed for that. So with that though, sometimes we want to have really lofty goals, massive goals of changing all sorts of things. So what happens there? Because sometimes they appear too big. Well, what we do there is we break down the bigger goals into smaller, manageable, achievable chunks. It's like the phrase, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Now, another tip that um, Asraf offered in his book was something called mental contrasting. Now, he just casually mentions it as something to, um, to, to do, but doesn't go into great detailed explanation. Um, I think that's because his book is set up to promote other training that he does. So I was aware of mental contrasting, and I managed to find the source of it from another book, which is from a book called Nine Things Successful People Do by um, a lady called Heidi Grant Halverson. And... It's a really good book. So what mental contrasting is, it's where you imagine attaining your goal, but also you flip back to imagining the obstacles that you get in between, that are between you and your goal. And you flip between the two, making sure you get very clear on what you want, but also you're very clear on what's going to get in your way. 
And what that does, that provides the necessity to act. It also provides what's called realistic optimism. It's very easy for people to say, right, I've got this goal. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that doesn't work very well. Versus, yeah, I've got this goal. I'm going to do it, but it's going to be tough. I've got to overcome these things, but I know I can do it. I know I can push through it and I've got to overcome these challenges. That's called realistic optimism. And it's the difference between believing you'll succeed and believing you'll succeed easily. There was some research done that was quoted in the Nine Things book about weight loss. So people were asked before they were starting a program to lose weight, whether they believed that they would lose weight. Those that believed they could do it obviously performed better than those who didn't think they could do it at all. And they lost on average 26 pounds more than those who never thought they could do something, which is an obvious thing. But of those people who lost the weight, they, uh, they were also asked whether they thought it would be easy or difficult for them to do it. Those who felt it would be hard and recognised there were challenges to overcome lost 24 pounds more than those who just believed that they could do it. So it's quite a staggering statistic that from that research. So the more realistic we are about the challenges to we overcome, combined with the clarity of what we want to overcome, the more likely we are to do it. Now, practically speaking, Asraf reckoned, uh, recommends creating what's called a dream book. This is where you write it down. And this is where you capture your goals. You write them down. You create pictures of them because we're primarily a visual processor. You add the detail as specific as possible. You put press clippings in. He quotes a story of a lady who was struggling um, getting divorced, was ill, she ran a small business that was struggling and she wrote a dream book and created this dream book where she, she was a hairdresser, where she wanted to, she set the goal of becoming the, the, the best hairdresser in Scotland and win the top prize in their annual awards, it's their equivalent to the Oscars. So she wrote down that dream and she imagined, because she'd been to the awards before, she imagined walking up and receiving the award. She got really vivid and did that over and over and over again. She even had things where she got press clippings out from the previous winners and stuck her face on the, on the winner to show an image of her seemingly receiving the award. And she ended up doing it. And so this is the principles this guy is talking about. And writing the dream book is only half the step, okay? It's only half the process because the regular visualization of that, using the emotion, tapping into the emotion, imagine as though it's already happened, using things like music to generate that emotion as well and all sorts of things to create that positivity, gets your body and your brain in the right state of mind. Then you've still got to take the action. But what happens there is that because of doing the uh, this process, you've got the clarity because you've written down exactly what you want. You know why you're doing it. And because you've done that and you've linked it to an emotion, you're setting your brain up for the right neurochemistry to take the right actions. So I got quite inspired listening or watching uh, the videos from this guy and also reading this book and going back into this particular chapter. And it's chapter 11, Your Brain on Goals, if you manage to get the book. Um, the book's called Inner Size, 
by John Asaraf. So that's the process that I'm going to apply. I've understood it now. I can see where the neuroscience behind it. It makes sense to me. Um, I've set goals before in the past, but I haven't really understood why from a brain perspective they worked. And there are things that I've missed in the past uh, that I've not done. And I know now that what I've missed and I'm now going to spend at least today, probably next couple of days, defining my goals following this process. So I'll keep you informed how that goes until tomorrow.